it was just utter pure relief that that King Kong had got off my back. It wasn't a monkey, it was King Kong. So it was just, there was no like excitement or yes, how good is that? Brilliant. It was just like, thank God for that. The inimitable Billy Foster there coming up. An exclusive interview with Billy on this week's episode of the Bunkered Podcast in association with Callaway. Hello, Michael McEwen here. Thank you as ever for tuning in. And yeah, what a big show we've got for you today. Billy Foster fresh from finally, finally getting that major win that he's been craving for, what, 40 years? He is on the show a little bit later on and loads to get through before then as well. We've got competitions Podder of Merit, Honesty Box, all the usual things. It's just, it's a packed episode. And sitting opposite me to get right into it all, Bunkered Editor Bryce Ritchie. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? You, you, you've had a busy weekend, you were telling me. Yes, I cleaned the gutters, <laughs> cut a hedge, cut the grass. You notice I said busy rather than good or exciting. Yes, or, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Like, Guttering's not much fun. You did all the dad stuff, didn't you? Yeah, I did dad stuff. Well My done. back's killing me now. Oh, what a shame. There we go. Well, I hope it gets better because busy few weeks coming up. Small matter of a Scottish Open, then an Open, then a Senior Open, then a Women's Scottish Open, then a Women's Open. Wow, Scotland, the, genuinely the home of golf in more ways than one for yeah. the next month or so. No, it's going to be a bit mad, but I'm here for it. All fired up, ready to go. <laughs> ready and ready. So, as I said, I'm, I'm not going to muck about. We do have a lot to get through. Let's start with, oh, let me see for something different, live. Why don't we go straight there? The Greg Norman-fronted, Saudi-funded Invitational Series had its second event last week in Portland in Oregon. You've been to Oregon, Bryce, haven't you? Have I been to Oregon? Very West I think I've, I think I've driven through. Yes, I have. No, I haven't. No, I haven't. Is it north of Washington or is it south, south of Washington? I, mm, no, I don't think I have been. This is the most boring start to a podcast ever. <laughs> I don't think... That, no. You've not been to Oregon to answer <laughs> the question. I've not been to Oregon. <laughs> I knew somebody that lived in Portland. My Good. best pal lived in Portland. Maybe they were at the Live Golf Invitational they Series last week. They weren't because they live in Bears Den now. Brilliant. Going even better. <laughs> we weren't there either. Should we just restart this? <laughs> Do you want to? No. Keep it in. Oh, Fine. why not? Look, it was event number two for Live. It was their sec- yeah, second event, but their first in the USA, which is quite meaningful because they have now taken the fight very much to the PGA Tour's doorstep. We'll come on to the fight, if you like, in a second. But let's talk about the golf. First and foremost, Brandon Grace. $4 million better off. Do they know that it doesn't have to be South Africans exclusively that win these events? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's he's had quite a good couple of weeks since joining Liv. Of course he has. He's playing Liv. <laughs> <laughs> I would have a good couple of weeks if I played that. I could top it around that place and make 120 grand. You could. That's what Pat Perez did. Well, Pat Perez had a good finish. He, he did sh- okay. Did he not it's, shoot 80? Yes, or well, one of his rounds. Had he not shot 80? Uh, Michael, yeah. I can shoot 80. And he, got, good he got nearly a million. I know, I know. Jediah Morgan finished way last, like cut adrift at the bottom. Who? Jediah Morgan. Jediah Morgan. He was about 30 shots behind Brandon Grace, but 120 grand in the back pocket for his week's work. We could talk about the money, you know, till the cows come home, but let's try and move it on from that. Let's talk, as I say, about the event itself. We both watched it. 
What did you think of this one relative to the inaugural event at Centurion? The what event? Inaugural. <laughs> the first. <laughs> uh, I, I thought it was it was better. It had a wee bit more atmosphere. I'm not convinced that atmosphere is entirely. Mm. Oh, go on. Mm. Use the word. Authentic. Are you suggesting there's manufactured fun? It's just, it just they're a bit. There's a there's a lot of whooping and hollering at weird times. You think there are plants in the crowd? Yeah, on a Thursday and the okay. fourth and things like that. It's just mm. a bit. Mm, I don't know. I, I could totally see why wrong. they might. But the, there was definitely more crowds. I think the Saturday was a sellout. Was it not? It was. Or they're capacity. saying it was. It was capacity for what they want. Yeah. I mean, if you use Westwood Twenty Five, you're not paying. But yeah. You're in, so. But this this. <laughs> There's sailouts and there's full. Oh, God. We're splitting hair somewhat, but yeah, yes, there was a big crowd. I know, I'm with you. It, the whole thing about the crowds is weird because it's only there. For, there's only golf for about four and a half, five hours, yeah. so you're not going to get 250,000 over the course of a week. It's just a, it's a completely different golf event. And you've got to be honest, there were decent crowds for what it was, but then there were big star names there. Um, and Taylor Gooch. <sighs> and... <laughs> The crowds seemed to have a good time. They did. It's it's just a bit strange, isn't it? Yes, because it's, it's it's very strange. We've never seen anything like this before, mm-hmm. where you've got so many. Let's be honest, the field was significantly better than Centurion. They lost some of the names that people might not know and replaced them with Bryson, with Brooks, with Patrick Reed, even Pat Perez, Abraham Answer. These guys are all now there, so the field is improving event on event, and we're told it's going to get better still. But essentially, what is it that they're watching? You know, it feels... Yeah. A lot of people are using the term exhibition. I think that's a little bit disingenuous, but I struggle to understand what it all means yeah. when I watch it. You know, you watch the Scottish Open this week, the Irish Open last week. These are events that have been around for decades that have history, and you know what it all means. You know, there's, yeah. there's context to it. Now, Liv can't buy history. That's something that will come in time. But it's just really weird to be there at the outset of something new. I think it's important to be stressed. I, I take no side. I'm not really, and I know you're the same, I'm not really anti-live. I'm not pro-live. I'm just sitting observing it all. And we criticise, put it this way, we've criticised, we've ripped the piss out of live, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. But we have also ripped the piss out of the PG Tour and definitely DP where we've been doing this. So no one is immune to our wrath. But live is like, you know what it's like? It's like a cult. You're looking okay. at it, you can't quite work out what it is, but everyone seems to be enjoying themselves. And then you hear that you listen to the interviews, and it's like they've been brainwashed. I don't feel much conviction in what they're saying. You know, Taylor Gucci's comments in the weekend saying, you know, he'd never, never played in the Ryder Cup, but that's, you know, he'd imagined that what it'd be like. If you watch that interview, you can see DJ turns away and smirks because <laughs> DJ knows <laughs> you've actually just said that. I mean, it's a ridiculous thing to ridiculous say. Ridiculous thing. I mean, you got be, this is Taylor Gooch. Closest you'll get to a Ryder Cup is buying a ticket. So it's very strange. It is like a cult. You kind of watch it from the outside and you can't quite understand why the people involved are in it. But then they are and they're all having a good time, but you don't really, you're not sure. And then all these players join and the money involved and, ugh. 
I'm a slightly, I'm just laughing at the idea of it as a cult, like Liv's the new Waco and Norman's the new <laughs> David Koresh, but perhaps that's a thread we shouldn't pull too hard on. Yeah, I, I, I get exactly what you're saying, though. With, with regards to the likes of Gucci's comments and the other stuff that players are saying to talk up, the commentaries, they've, they've learned nothing from the first event. Oh. Still too excited, the pom-poms out. I feel like everything around it would be so much better if they stop trying so hard to tell us how great it is uh-huh. and just let us experience it uh-huh. as viewers, as impartial fans. But it's it's a very, it's as we've said before, it's a very an American-style sporting platform, mm-hmm. and that's what American broadcasters, or what do they say they call it? That's what they're calling like. Calling the action. Calling the action. They, they, they are always upbeat and positive from the off, mm-hmm. which is we're just not used to it. The week started, I think, pretty much the way... We all expected it to start with some fiery press conferences. You look at some of the things that Pat Perez said, Brooks Kepka's behaviour, which for me, I, th- I thought he was bang out of order, but that's becoming Brooks Kepka's default position. Then you had Pat Perez showing up to the draft party wearing his $100 bill shirt. Again, I thought that was a bit crass. Some people found it really funny, I get it. To me, it's like, you know, you're rubbing people's noses in it. Then Sergio's rant coming out about what he said about the DP World Tour during the BMW. It's just this angry noise yeah. surrounding it at the moment. I liked Fred Couples' comment and Pat Perez where he described him to in their Golf Talk interview as a, he's a grain of sand on this tour. And I thought, wow, did wow. he say that? Yeah, that's that that's a wonderful quote. <laughs> you think that's harsh? But I've been following, I decided to follow Pat Perez, his wife, on Instagram. If you're on oh, Instagram, go and follow Pat Perez, his wife. and She seems your, lovely and stable. Yeah, yeah, she's great, yeah. It's opening up yourself to a whole new world. For example? <laughs> I don't want... I, you know what? It's a podcast platform. You can't give an example of the insanity of it. Just follow her and do yourself a favour. She's called The Real... I think it's The, the Real... Ashley Perez. Ashley Perez. Yeah. And it, it makes you realise why he has joined that tour. Money. I mean, there's no other reason for it. No. Do you think that some of the criticisms the players have about the PGA Tour and calling it out and saying it's this horrible place to play, do you think they're at it a little bit with that? Of course they are, because we never heard anyone say anything negative about the Tour until Mickelson told Chipnick that stuff. Mm-hmm. No one had said anything. So I'm very I, I'm surprised by that. But listen, there, there's undercurrents that you will never know. Mm-hmm. And maybe they were there. Maybe they knew that they had money and they weren't, you know, making enough but the PG Tours prize fund was pretty staggering it still is staggering before they made the increases when they made the in- increase in pots to the players championship we thought my word and uh, uh, immense amounts of money I remember when they when they launched the world golf championship and they were making incredible amounts of mm-hmm. money and people thought that's unbelievable so the my, my issue is that if you keep increasing the prize fund where does it stop where do you go? Or you end up getting something like the Premiership in England where it's just about money. There's just something about that whole increase in prize fund that it, I think it actually gets dangerous because it takes away from what you're playing for. Money is not the barometer of of your ambition. It should be history and mm-hmm. prestige. And that seems well, to be... Well, how much money did Jack Nicholas make on the course? Yeah. 
Nobody's really that bothered. No. I'm sure Jack was. Of course he was, but I mean the thing but, is nobody knows. Yeah. Because it's not important. What's important is how many majors he won. Yes. And when I talk about context and you know, that's why I struggled watching live at the weekend. It's not well, there. Well, what does this mean? What does a win in Portland actually mean? It's because there is no context. That yes, okay, it will come, and that's maybe an unfair comment to say that it's not there now. It doesn't change the way it is right at this moment in time. Tiger Woods' career is only relevant because of Jack Nicholas's career. Tiger's career has been measured against how many majors you're going to win. It's always against Jack. The thing that, that I can't wrap my head around is that it's the future of this tour. It's where it's going to go. It's up in the balance. You know, mm-hmm. they're talking about players suing the DP world now. You know, we've got this situation with the world golf rankings. It's very strange. I was watching um, Paul McGinley talking to Rob Lee. And you can see now some broadcasters are actively against it. Rob Lee is very against Liv. He's not happy. And I find Not just a broadcaster. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also a senior member of the DP World Tour, which has been completely left off his eyeline, if you like. So Rob Lee is actively against it. You can tell in all these interviews and pieces to camera that he's, he's not happy. He's not a happy guy. And he was talking to McGinley yesterday... And McGinley said that he was talking to some players in the range in Ireland and um, players were suggesting that how can these guys join Live and then circle back to play DP and PGA Tour? And uh, they supposedly told him absolutely no way were they going to let that happen. The DP World Tour told McGinley that? Players. Players told oh, McGinley players that. told them. There's no way they were going to allow that. They said they should not be allowed to double dip. Should they be unable to do that, though? Because it's just a choice they've they've made, and in theory, anybody could have that choice. Yeah, but then that choice is, it's a manufactured choice. It's like Rory saying, you know what, I'm going to go and spend six months in Asia and play the Asian tour, and that's fine, on you go. So it's because Liv is a new disruptor in the game that's gone right in at the very top and said, we're the biggest. Uh-huh. That's I, the problem. I also think is the fact the, that... Sorry, the point you're making about Rory, for example, let's say he jumped to the Asian tour, nobody would have any problem with that. No. The opposite, they would say, good for you, Rory, yeah. using your platform to boost that yes. tour. And I think it's a poor state of affairs that Greg Norman is now trying to attack the other tours and their fields. They're being aggressive. Mm-hmm. They're downplaying what's already there. And I don't like that. They I don't need to do that. don't need to do it. You want to start your tour... But why are you suddenly bashing the European tour? I think if they just started and said, you know, if you want to come, we're not going to pay you anything. We've got this idea, this concept. We think it's going to be great. But they've not done that. And I think there's people are entitled to be angry if all these players leave for money, but then eight months, ten months down the road, realise they're not getting the World Golf Championships and their majors and their yeah. world ranking points, and then come back and say, I'm sorry, we'd actually like, want to go back to where we were oh yeah come on in yeah the thing that i didn't like was the letter that the the players the 16 the the sour 16 they're being called from live have put their names to saying you know here's our our threat to you dp world tour obtained by the telegraph great report and again by james corrigan and the the letter basically said remove the sanctions withdraw them or we will take this further don't like that i think it was justin thomas made a comment saying that when players, other players attack the tour, they're also attacking their fellow players. Yeah. And look, does Sergio Garcia need the DP World Tour? Does Lee Westwood, does Ian Poulter? No, they just want to show up when it suits them, 
to play in the big events with lots of money and lots of ranking points. That's not supporting a tour, that's supporting yourself. It's greed. Exactly, of course it is. So to turn around and start threatening, you know, throwing out these legal challenges and so on, it's not right. How they possibly think that they can win the the PR war is against me when they start doing stuff. Part like of me thinks the, the the way it's going now, they have no interest in winning the PR war. They don't care. Potentially. Which is even worse. Yeah. I think the big thing for a lot of fans, when you hear people that you've supported and cheered and you've seen Ian Poulter give it all this in the Ryder Cup and you've seen Sergio crying after becoming the record point scorer, when you've bought in to these players, when you've invested in them emotionally, to suddenly hear things like Sergio saying, this tour's shit, you're all you know, you should have taken the Saudi money and ranting at his fellow players and then to see that letter threatening legal action, you must just go, what What the hell is this? What, what happened? What, Mem- what was, who was I supporting Mem- all along? Remember the image of Poulter holding his son who was crying with happiness yeah. on the face, yeah. you know, after the Ryder Cup? You can imagine that he's basically signed that away. I, I just, it's it's absolutely, you would think about it, it's absolutely mind-blowing that this is still, I still can't believe this has happened. I know. And you look at where the PGA Tour is going to be in a couple of years if this is still going. Yeah. It's quite, it's pretty hairy. And there is more to come. I mean, we're, we're told there's more players going to be signing up in the next few weeks. They're going to Trump National Bedminster before the end of the month. I mean, the clues in the name, we know who's going to show up there. It's going to get noisier. Then you've got the whole business of the Ryder Cup. Zach Johnson last week ruling out live players from taking part or being eligible for a captain's pick even. That, again, is a massive disappointment because now the Ryder Cup's diluted. Assuming these players don't get to play, we go to Italy, can we really say it's the 12 best Americans versus the 12 best Europeans? <laughs> Possibly not. The, the problem is all the guys that are joining live are... They are on a slide. I looked at. I just made a small sampling of some of the the world rankings of the guys in the top twenty, top forty. All their rankings have fallen. I don't think there was. A, I think I looked at about eight, ten players. None of them had improved their world rankings mm-hmm. this year. So they're all down. That's a clue. A lot of the guys are on the wrong side of thirty-five. But then they, you've got the others, Bryson and Brooks. You'd expect them to they, be part of it. They, they are the two. And to be a certain extent, Patrick Reed, mm-hmm. they're they're the two of the three that I think, whoa. And I remember right at the beginning, I was stunned at Bern Wiesberger. I mm-hmm. thought, yeah. What's the why? Like why? Then you've that? got the younger guys like James Pyatt and Lopez Chicara. I think they're basically I, the Morikawa and Ram I of think, three years ago. I think those guys have just been turned by money. They probably know that if they come on the PG tour and it doesn't work out, they could be playing Corn Ferry for four or five years. They could be Smiley Kaufman, you know, maybe not making the money they thought they would. It didn't maybe work out. They just never know. And somebody said, you know what, five, six million, come on this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, though? That, that's a shame that those guys yeah. potentially won't play Ryder Cup. Of course it is. Yeah. I mean, if you told me a few years ago, if we'd had a light bulb or a, a crystal ball into the future, you could see what John Ram would go on and achieve at the point he turned pro. The idea that he wouldn't be able to play it in the Ryder Cup is horrific. And yeah, you could don't, say that that's maybe where Lopez Chicara is right uh-huh. now. Don't overlook the fact that the American team will change, but the whole ethos of the European side yeah. will change. Look at the guys that were meant to be behind the scenes. None of them will be. They are not just one or two. There's a whole host of players. Potentially your next five captains are gone. Yes, gone. 
And that influence on the European team is gone. Now, you can say whether Sergio Garcia would be a positive or a negative, whatever. Behind in a team room, everybody knows he's a pretty big deal. Yes, he's a brat, but he's a pretty big deal when it comes to the Cup. The guy's the best ever, basically. Mm -hmm. So that affects Europe. But I I think there's no doubt the Ryder Cup has been not destroyed, but it's been watered down heavily. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How sad is that? That's massively sad. You know, no one's considering what's best for the game here. Everyone says they're in it to grow the game. All parties, by the way, are saying that we've got the game's best interests at heart, not the other side. No, they don't. None of the three, not the DP World Tour, not Live, not the PGA Tours acting in the game's best interests. And you could say, quite rightly, they shouldn't be. They're independent businesses. They're their own organisations. Their job is to make money and to look after their own P&L. It just feels sad that none of them wants to... I don't know. Find find a resolution. It's just getting angrier now. I don't. I don't see they're going to find a resolution. I think this too is, much water this, under yeah, the bridge. This is going to end badly. Paul Casey's signed up as well. Are you surprised by that? Um. Yeah, because he's not played a lot of golf, has he? Mm. And he's not been healthy. So it's almost the case of well, he gets less golf to play. I watched the video with Bryson, and it was absolutely cringeworthy what watching that. The the one where Bryson's let's go. Oh, that just makes me cry. Let's move on to hopefully happier things. The Scottish Open is this week. The Genesis Scottish Open, co-sanctioned now by the PGA Tour and DP World Tour. So it's going to have a different look. It is still being played at the Renaissance, but we have, in spite of the live rebels being kicked out, we have a phenomenal field. Yeah, There's absolutely no question in my mind this is the strongest field the Scottish Open's ever had. What are you expecting from this week, Bryce? It is going to be unquestionably different, but how? Yeah, it's different. It's not going to be a Scottish Open of the past. And, you know, and I've heard a few rumblings that some players are not too happy that they're not getting a place in the field, which I do understand. I can, I can get that. Not just that, they're being sent across the Atlantic if they want to get money and ranking yeah. points this week to play in the Barbasol, which is a you know a much less compelling prospect. It's not much of a tune-up for the Open. And yeah. we're told they're not getting expenses to go there, whereas yeah. the best players coming over are getting handsomely looked after. Yeah, which is... Not right. No, it's not bad. It's not a good look, is it? No. Um, but, listen, I was looking at the field before we came on air, and what can you say? It's absolutely phenomenal. It's a phenomenal field. It's brilliant that this is happening in Scotland. I do, once again, think English golf fans must be tearing their hair mm. out. Because I think if you think about it, the Scottish Open every year is great. This year, it's incredible. It's like a World Golf Championship. Yep. It's unbelievable. English fans get... They don't. They just don't have an event like that. It reminds me of the time that... And I've said this before, that, you know, George O'Grady, former... Chief of European Tour didn't like the Scottish Open because it was so bloody good and it took mm-hmm. the eyes off PGA. Unbelievable. But anyway, phenomenal field. I, I just hope that it gets the winner that the field deserves. What kind of differences are you expecting? To go back to the original question. <laughs> what do you mean differences? From previous years to this year, now that the PGA Tour has got a bit of an involvement, we know there's field changes, but it's a hard question to answer because we've not seen it yet. But what would you anticipate a change, a significant change to look like? I actually don't know. Bigger crowds? I would expect so. 
I think you will probably get more crowds because quite a lot of people, I know a lot of people that were wanting to go to the Open and can't get mm. to go to the Open because of the they didn't get in the ballot. So maybe that'll be the case. I'm just wondering if there'll be a bit more noise, negative noise at the Scottish Open with pre- com- press conferences and so on because there's some bigger names there mm-hmm. and that could get a bit murky. Yeah, But it, it could be the case where we get some fireworks because of some big names. Sunday afternoon could be pretty special. wonder what the fan experience is going to look like if that's much different, if the whole thing's just got a different look, maybe a slightly cleaner look, a more commercial look. Well, Hard I, to say. I, I, the problem is I've not actually been to too many standard PGA Tour events, mm. but the, the, the fan element's always pretty special. I do know that the, the media access this year has been slightly different from previous years. They're a bit more tight on numbers, not numbers, but there'll be a bit more... Asking a few more questions. Yes. Mm-hmm. Used to be able to, and in the old days, used to be able to literally just drive up to Scottish Open and walk straight in. That's not going to happen this year. You're not playing with your pal, Justin Thomas, this year? Justin? No, he's away no. in, uh, I think he's in uh, Ireland. He's playing At the JP he's, McManus? He's playing with his other pal. Oh, Jordan. No, Tiger. Oh, that one. <laughs> oh, yes. He, he did play with Jordan and Ricky yeah, yesterday. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Were, were they at Tralee and... Lahinch. Uh, Lahinch. Yeah. Looked all right. With uh, Guinness. Right. Yes, not bad. We've covered a lot of Scottish Opens, Bryce, going right back to, for me, 2004. The first winner I ever got to see of it was Thomas Lovey. Nice. Good guy. What was your first, you recall? Uh, it, was it Eduardo Romero? I can't actually remember. Oh, but you've been going to... Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I thought way, you meant from a working capacity. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember going to the Bell Scottish Open. That's where I, that's where I met Seve, <laughs> uh, and Sandy, and Payne Stewart, and Sam Torrance, and so you're rattling off names there that almost sounds like we're getting back to that kind of level where the yeah. best players well, in the world back are then, all there. Glen Eagles, it, it was the best players in the world. You know, I remember Alathabal and his pomp playing at Glen Eagles, and they were big crowds. They were great days. I mean, they that, they were fantastic. All people my age remember going to watch Scottish Open there, and then uh, even the 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 fan experience of the Open back then was different. The, the actual the tented village mm. was a completely different experience. But things have changed. Yeah. And but yeah, no, I remember. I remember seeing Payne Stewart, Seve. You yeah. told me Payne Stewart right. had gigantic, feet. absolutely huge. But I th- what's the is it the drivable par four now at Glen Eagles? We split the bunkers down the fairway. I can't remember the King's course. Yeah, is that fifteen. It was not fourteen. I can't 14 remember. Or 15. And yeah, and I was sitting behind the green, and he walked right off the green, and he, his foot was about fourteen inches from my hand, and his feet were huge. Did it just look bigger because of the plus maybe fours? because I was about nine or something? Yeah, yeah, and they were absolutely, absolutely huge. But I remember thinking, you know what. The, the, the thing is, you remember looking at Payne Stewart and what he was wearing, and I remember looking back and going, he looks awesome. Really? That, that could abide so, in memory. so cool. Mm-hmm. I think if someone turned up dressed like that now, I would think, what a plonker. But well, we've spoken enough about Ian Poulter in this he, week's episodes. <laughs> but he looked, he just had a a presence yeah. about him. Payne Stewart. There was something that he just thought, oh my God, that guy's amazing. You mentioned the Open. Now, we're not going to dwell too much on it. That's next week's pod. But the 150th Open, it is looming large on the horizon. I'm going to be totally up front. This is maybe a weird thing for a golf journalist to say, but I haven't particularly enjoyed the last few months 
if I'd wanted to write about politics, I would have gone to the same school yeah, as yeah. Laura Kunzberg. Yeah. I want to write about golf. And I get that all those superfluous. What school did Laura Kunzberg go to? Uh, the same one as Boris Johnson, I think it was. But was it really? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure which one exactly. But they all they all went to the same ones together, didn't they? But <laughs> <laughs> and Peston and guys like that. Point being, I've written a lot about stuff that's not golf. Yeah, it's the noise around golf. It feels like right now we have never needed an open yeah. at St Andrews featuring Tiger Woods as badly as yes. we need it now, and it's a week away. Don't know about you, I am. Very excited. Oh yeah, I, I cannot, I cannot wait for Thursday when he steps onto that tee. And the good thing is that when he comes in for his press conference on the Tuesday or Wednesday, everyone is going to ask him live. He's going to mm. get asked lived questions. And if there's a guy that has got a degree in brushing off a question and scaring reporters into death to not be asked it for a second time, it's Tiger Woods. So there will not be a live furora around Tiger. I don't expect him to even enter the arena when it comes to that. I think his arena is the first tee on the old course and it's going to be sensational. So Thursday morning, let's predict it. Tee time, what are they giving him? Tiger, well, they'll want to give him, I think they'll give him a, an early one. So the Friday night. Early late. Fl- yep. Early late. And they'll pray that he's he's within four or five shots of the lead on the Saturday. But even if he misses the cut, you're still going to, if you give him a late tea time Friday, yeah. you still have Tiger coming up and Keeps waving people farewell at St Andrews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't, why, even, why would you bring that up? Why are you bringing up a farewell at St Andrews the week before the Open? What are you all about? I'm, <laughs> seeing, I'm seeing a Tiger Woods Thursday morning, five past nine tea time. Something like saying. that. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you. Not too early. I mean, you don't yeah, want to yeah, give yeah. him six o'clock, that's stupid. You don't want to give him much before nine because... Let's face it, it's going to be probably cold. Have you seen the summer we're getting? I mean, Jesus, yeah, it's, it's not, got a turn. It's not great. So, Tiger with his health issues, don't want to you know, give him a, an 8 o'clock in the morning tea time. 9 o'clock, as people are settling down to work, get them skiving right from the very word go, <laughs> and then let all hell break loose at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Friday. Yeah, brilliant. It's going to be great. Also, at this juncture, before we move into the ad, I want to say a huge congratulations and I don't care. I've got the saltire tinted glasses on. Huge congrats to David Law on qualifying for his first ever major championship. David got one of the three spaces available at the Horizon Irish Open at the weekend. We've covered David for years, Bryce. You go right back to Scottish boys' days when he was just a nipper with big hair and glasses. It is great to see him finally appearing on a huge stage. And and where better? What a debut. I know. What a debut. What a stage. (laughs) And he hold a good putt to get there as he well. Did. I actually enjoyed it. Mean, I saw a few people ripping that golf course at the weekend. I, I, I think it's like fashionable now to just come in and do that. I, yeah, it's not it's a links easy course. to do it's it. Easy. It's not a links course, but I, the finish to that tournament was great. It's not a links course, but neither's no. Lomond and nobody gave a toss when the Scottish Open was there. No. So no, it's great for him, and I hope he, I hope he goes and shoots the lights out. Yeah. Great. Anyway, that is it for part one. As I say, part two, we have an interview with Billy Foster coming right up where he reflects on that incredible week for he and Matt Fitzpatrick at Brookline in the US Open just a couple of weeks ago. Do not go anywhere. When we think speed, we think about speed tuning every aspect of the new Rogue ST drivers. Really? I just think about smashing it. When we think total power, we think of our tungsten speed cartridge. A what speed cartridge? I don't know, but I like what it does. When we think max distance, we think... 
Oh, that's bombed. With our fastest, most stable driver ever, there's only one thing you'll think about. Smoked it. Bombed. See ya. Think speed. Go rogue with Callaway, the kings of distance. The moments, the memories, the chance to be there. Apply now for tickets for the 151st Open, Royal Liverpool 2023. Head over to theopen.com. Ticket ballot closes on Wednesday the 20th of July. Welcome back, part two of this week's episode of the Bunkered Podcast in association with Callaway. And big thanks to Callaway because we've got a rather cool prize to give away when we signed this deal with them, this strategic alliance. Some might say we did promise you opportunities to win, lots of cool things, and we are kicking it off this week. Bryce, you're holding up a tag. I can't see what that says. It says Tour Staff Bag Limited Edition. Whoa! We're looking. It's sitting right next to Bryce at the moment because it's the closest you'll ever get to a tour bag, I think. But it's uh, a Cal- <laughs> Sorry, that's unfair. It's very true, though. <laughs> Callaway Rogue ST, a brand new bag for this year. It is very, very cool. awesome. It's white, black, gold, you name it. It's got all of the the, the current 2022 Callaway decals. It's got a decals. cool Odyssey logo ah, on it, yeah. which I like. That's very smart. Nice. So we have this bag that we are going to give away to one of you. In fact, you, listening, you, you are going to win this bag. It's very, very simple. We're going to play a game of Bryce's Magic Word. I'm going to ask Mr. Ritchie to give us a word, and then you have to take that and go to the website, fill in the details, and you're in the draw. And we'll announce the winner next week's show. Yeah. Why not? So, Bryce, without any further ado, and I dread, I don't know what this is, by the way. It's not sweary, don't worry. Thank God for that. What? Is your magic word? Moonshine. Moonshine. Where did that come from? Brad Paisley. Okay, there you have it, ladies and gents. <laughs> the magic word is moonshine. So I need you to go to bunkered.co.uk forward slash competitions, follow the on-screen instructions, and one of you is going to win this rather lovely looking bag. It's stand and staff, isn't it? It's, it's, it's yeah. like a hybrid. Yeah, it's very cool. I have to say that is really quite cool. You can't win it. I know. It disappoints me that I can't win it. But I'll be pleased to give it away. Of course. Bunkered.co.uk forward slash competitions. Get involved and you could win this brilliant prize from our friends at Callaway. Before we move on any further, we have something new on the newsstands at the moment, Mr. Ritchie. Perhaps you could explain to the listeners what it is and why they need it. Something new that we've never done before. And to be fair, this is not an open preview. That's our current edition. (laughs) (laughs) Also on sale. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, we did uh, what you would call a one-shot, or as the industry call it, a bookazine, on uh, golf in St Andrews, a bit of the history. Look at some of the iconic figures that have graced the hallowed turf. There's a bit of history and things like the Swilkin Bridge, history in the old course. Uh, we look at some of the other courses under the St Andrews Links Trust. It's not in partnership with anyone. It's just purely a bunker product, but it doesn't have bunkered on the name. And it's a bit of a different experience for uh, some of our readers. And it's a long-term sales. You can read it now. You can read it in six months, and it's still relevant. And so where can people get it? All good news agents, etc. All good news agents. And you can also buy it online if you search for it on the DC Thompson shop. Excellent. It is very good. There's a lot of blood, yeah. sweat, and tears that went into it. 160-something pages. No ads. 
straight up editorial? Absolutely no advertising. Sorry, Callaway. Uh, <laughs> no advertising. And there's also, you know, an interview with Harrington and uh, Stacey Lewis as well, yeah. who talk about their experiences at the old course. And it's, it's, it's awesome. Ex- well, yes, I couldn't have said it any better. So go buy it. Please Basically, go buy it. Yes, yeah. go buy it and keep us in a job. Right. I think we've trailed it enough. It's time now to jump to our interview with Billy Foster. Thank you to our friends at Motocaddy for fixing this up. I was able to go down to Bingley St. Ives. Bryce, had you heard of Bingley St. Ives before? I have, I've never heard of that, but what is it about English golf courses that sound like English golf courses? Exactly. Bingley St. Ives. Is it pretty cool? It is a really cool place. Yeah, and yeah. Billy has his own bar at the top of the clubhouse. Of course he does. Absolutely full. The walls are full of really cool memorabilia. You can imagine over 40 years and yeah, caddying yeah. for who he's caddied for. Decent. He's collected some pretty cool stuff. So, yeah, thank you to Motocaddy for fixing up. I went down, spent some time with Billy, and what a time to go and meet him just a few weeks after he and Matt Fitzpatrick won the US Open. Here's the chat. Billy Foster, major winning caddy at long last. That's got a nice sound to it, doesn't it? Welcome back to the Bunker Podcast. Great to have you here. Thanks very much, mate. Much appreciate it. So have you come down from cloud nine yet? It's been a couple of weeks since Brookline, but you still up there somewhere? Uh, I'll tell you what, honestly, I was never on it. It's amazing, <laughs> it? you know, you, I never anticipated. You know, it was getting to that stage that you think, you know, you might only have three or four years caddying left. You, know, you might have 10 majors left. Are you ever going to win one? No. Probably not. It's going to be one of those tortured souls that got close so many times and it never happened for you, you know, like a, a Monty or a Wester, you know, or, or whatever. I mean, Wester might still win one, you never know. But, yeah, it was it was just utter pure relief that that King Kong had got off my back. It wasn't a monkey, it was King Kong. So it was just, there was no, like, excitement. Oh, yes, how good is that? Brilliant. It was just like... <sighs> Thank, thank God. God for that. Yeah. You know, yeah. So we'll talk a bit more about that in a second. But uh, first of all, I want to say a thank you to our friends at Motocaddy for, for hooking us up. You know, Motocaddy have been around the block for years. They make some phenomenal products. And it's funny, I was thinking about this. You must love having a Motocaddy trolley because, let's face it, you carry a bag around for a living. I'm sure that when you finally do get to play, you know, golf of your own, which might not be that often, but I'm sure when you do get the chance, the last thing you want to do is, you know, put the straps on on the shoulders and go again. The trolley must be an absolute godsend for you. Absolutely. I mean, 100%, you know, if I, if I come home and play golf, um, <laughs> the last thing I want to do is put a golf bag on my back, like you say, and it's... Um, it's a busman's holiday, isn't absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah, but you get out with that thing and it's all singing, all dancing. It's 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 the ultimate caddy that doesn't answer you back, you know, because it's, <laughs> you know, it's got the GPS screen on there and, you know, you want to get a few beers in, you know, I can't take golf seriously these days, so a few bottles of beer in there, keep them nice and cold, so you don't have to worry about the weight of carrying them round, so... Yeah, it's a great product, uh, and so is the laser too, which has obviously helped caddies tremendously over the last 10, 20 years, how long lasers have been out now, you know, but it used to be so different back in the day, yeah. you know, so they make amazing products, and uh, I'm glad to be a partner with them, so. Yeah, the rangefinder, like you say, it's, it's so crucial these days. I mean, I'm, I use mine absolutely all the time. You're obviously dealing with the best players in the world who need to know exact numbers, and that's why having the, I guess, the reassurance from a rangefinder that what you're seeing with your own eyes, what you're able to work out with your own brain, you know, that that gives you that reassurance and confidence that you're giving them the right details, doesn't it? Absolutely, 100%. You know, I, you know, we go back to 994, Kenny Fisevi Ballesteros at Sun City. Well, there was no lasers then. We had to go to a par three, the fourth hole at Sun City, which was 
over a jungle, down a cliff, over water, and there was now I'd, I'd just go there and zap the laser, and it'd tell you it's 173 yards, next hole, perfect. Back in the day, I used to walk the golf course with my me, with me trundle wheel, and I got to the fourth hole and was like, right, how am I going to get this yardage? Well, I used to carry a little contraction that hooked up to my belt, and every and you pulled string out of it, and every every yard of string that came out of the box, it you know, click over the the counter, and um, yeah, I tied a bit of string to the back of the tee and abseiled down this cliff, and I went through <laughs> this forest, and and you know, it was just rubbish everywhere. Like, and I heard rustling going through the jungle. That like, I measured it over the water, clipped it off, got my trundle wheel out. Yeah, 173 yards, that'll do. And it took me one hour 15 minutes to get one <laughs> yardage, where now it'd take you five seconds. And then on top of that, I found out the next day. I'd walk through a cobra pit, so I could have been oh. could have been dead. <laughs> snakes are my, so much, yeah. Snakes are my biggest fear in yeah. the world. I just could not cope with something there's, like that. So there's plenty of snakes on tour, and not always, you know, rustling ones. <laughs> <laughs> but the things you have to do for Seve as well, my goodness, that that man made you earn your living, didn't he? Oh, he certainly did. He certainly did. But uh, I'm telling you now, you know, I've been to every Open Championship since 1975. Looking forward to going back to St Andrews. And 1984 was the first time I'd, I'd ever caddied in an Open. And uh, I was fortunate fortunate enough to be caddying for Hugh Bayocchi, who was in the third last match, playing with Lanny Watkins. And um, the second last match was Seve Ballesteros and Bernard Langer. And obviously Seve all the put behind us where we I just got off the 18th green. It's the most iconic moment in possibly an Open Championship history with the fist bumping on the 18th green. So to think, you know, six years later I would be Working five years for my boyhood hero was uh, something special, and um, I'll hold that dear to me for the for the rest of my life. I will. It was a great education. There was difficult moments out there. Ninety five percent of the time, I loved him. Five five percent of the time, I wanted to headbutt him. Let's, I did. He drove you mad. So stubborn, <laughs> so demanding. But it was a great learning curve for a young caddy like myself at the time to not only learn a lot about discipline, work ethic, shot making seeing him play so many shots and giving you a great education moving forwards it was uh, you know if you lasted five holes with Seve you were doing well so five years was uh, incredible and, I, and, I, and it's um, you know I love the man to the day I die too so it's funny you know this is your obviously second appearance on the Bunkered podcast when you were on last year you said that the one remaining ambition that you had in the game was to win a major championship and I think a lot of people would be quite surprised when they look at the players you worked with at the time you worked with them that you hadn't won one until a couple of weeks ago. You think Seve, you think Lee, you think Darren, Sergio, I mean, Thomas Bjorn as well, there in 2003 at St George's. Sorry Thanks for reminding me about yeah, that. just brought me out again. I've just got over that. <laughs> 19 years down the line. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, it's incredible to think that it hadn't happened. You must have been starting to doubt that it was ever going to happen. Yeah, well, like I said, you know, I look at it, I might have three years left, so you, may, you maybe have... 10 majors left in my career and are you going to win one? No, probably not. And tortured soul, you know, it was there on a plate two or three times and it was snatched away. I mean, yes, Thomas was by far the best player in the field that week and, and what people will never remember was that he left in a bunker on the 17th on the first round and he hit the sand in anger and as he finished the hole, he says, can you believe I did that? I said, can I believe he did what? He said, left it in that bunker and made six. I said, well, you did, but you just hit the sand in anger. That's a two-shot penalty. It's an eight. And um, 
he actually less shots than anybody else at that open. He just didn't get the claret jug. And, and then he did what he did on 16. And then it took him three to get out of the bunker. And uh, it brought me out. I thought about it every day for six months. Uh, Dan and Clark had a couple of chances. He shanked it off the second tee at Troon when he was tied for the lead. Um, and ultimately finished second. Lost by two shots, I believe, to Justin Leonard. Uh, Garcia, I only worked for him for 18 months. So that's... Mm. Irrelevant, really, but West I worked for him for nine or ten years, and I think in nine top three finishes in majors without winning one. Uh, what a what a player, you know. And I've said on record, you know, if Fitz had appointed for Westy in that time of his career, Lee had won five or six majors. He was, was that, that just good. the difference? It was just the putting. You think? he got to number one in the world, point like Edward Sizzardans, and he won't mind me saying that, and yeah. he'd agree with me. Yeah. Um, what a fantastic golfer, um, mm-hmm. and just on the day they just. They won't go in. I mean, he could have won three or four Masters. Mm-hmm. Forget Mickelson beat him in 2010. I mean, 2012, he was the best player in the field and the point unbelievably average the last day and, and, and lost to Bubba Watson. Um, 2016, even with Danny Willett, you know. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. He chipped in on 15th to have a genuine chance to win and then and then three put it the next again. And uh, it, was, it was just there so many times. Turnberry in 2009, he was leading. All week, all week until the last four holes, and then he he bogeyed fifteen, bogeyed sixteen, and and three putted the last. He birdied seventeen, but he, and he and he missed an eagle putt from about twelve, fifteen feet, and then three putted the last to to lose out. Obviously, when Tom Watson could have won it, mm-hmm. but we played with Stuart Sink on the Saturday, and Wesley made Stuart Sink look like a five handicapper. Really, he was in a different league, and then to think he'd won it, he he, he wasn't in even the equation of winning until he'd won it. You know, it was That's like it. there were three guys had a chance to win that day, and it it was Tom Watson, Lee Westwood, and believe it or not, nobody will know this one, an Australian kid named Matt Goggin. That's jeez, I'd forgotten yeah. all about him. And Stuart Sink wasn't in it, but yeah. I think Stuart finished with like three birdies, the last four holes, came from nowhere, posted a score, and then Tom bogeyed the last as well. So mm. it was, I won't say it was handed on a player to him because it wasn't. He had to go out there and, and do the business. It's the Open Championship, but yeah, Stuart wasn't even in the equation in my eyes until. Hang on a minute, where's he come from? Yeah. yeah. You mentioned Bjorn, for example. Caddies, I, I know plenty of you, and you're a competitive bunch as well. You you want the majors as much as I think some of the players do, in some cases perhaps more. How frustrating is it when something like that happened with Thomas, where had it, I'm not saying that was the only mistake he made, hitting the sand and getting the two-shot penalty, but you take those two shots out, he's the open champion. How frustrating is it when a player makes a mistake like that and you don't get to celebrate what you should be celebrating. Well, you know, it's not down to me. You know, it's like, you're, you're like, I always relate this job to like a rally driver. The rally driver is the player who's driving the driving the car. You are the navigator providing the information. You've had a team as such, but ultimately it, it stays with the player, the final decision, you know. And um, yeah, it was it was heartbreaking to, you know, in 2003 with Thomas Penn. And, you know, I thought about it every day for six months. It broke me out, but... You laugh or you cry, and the very next day we went to Dublin for the Irish Open at Port Marnock, and I went out for dinner with Thomas, and, you know, I was stroking him like an old golden labrador, telling him how good he was, and, <laughs> you know, you show your peers how strong you are, you bounce back and you win this Irish Open, you know. And he actually got beaten in a playoff by Michael Campbell. But that's another story. We went down the road to Gibney's pub in Malahide. I said, we'll just call him for a nightcap, Thomas. And as we walked in the there was like, eight players and maybe a dozen caddies in there which you know the usual suspects Darren Clark and Ernie Els and, and Ian Woosnam were in at the time and Darren Clark has said on Lucky last week Thomas has, has uh, 
have you seen the draw for, for this week? And Thomas goes, no, why are we playing together? I said, no, you're playing with Doug Sands and John Vanderveld, you clumsy git. So it's the bar. The bar was silenced for about three seconds with that. Everybody started laughing there. But you can only laugh or cry. But yeah, That's I, it. I did think about it for six months. It brought me out because the Open Championship is everything to me. Yeah. And yes, unbelievably, you know, you've snatched one at the death and carried for somebody that's won a major championship, which is very humbling and... I'm so happy about it. It's great. The monkey's gone, but it's given me an extra desire and incentive to win the Open Championship because it is the one tournament that means, means the world to me. I'll tell you what, I'll be out there a week on Monday. We're ready to go out with Matt and we're going to grind it out for hours because St Andrews can play so differently. Every mm. all, I've, I've witnessed every win that St Andrews over the last 40 years and Halls can play amazingly different on any given hour. Never mind. Mm every given day so you need to be 100% sure of your lines which fairway you're going to go down where do you need to be for certain pin positions which bunkers do you want to play take out a play etc so we'll be trying like bears to get out there and um, get the London bus as you would say Michael yeah so we'll exactly see. I can see it in you though the, the oh, passion yeah. is absolutely oh, authentic the Open Championship is everything to me yeah. I'll be trying like a bear because I mean I've, I've spoken to other players you mentioned Michael Campbell for example and he said after he won the US Open, he felt like, well, that's it. No more mountains to climb. You know, he, he admits he struggled. You think of all the guys that have won one major and that's been enough for them, you know, and I get it. But there you are. I can see just how you're shaking your head honestly, going, no, I want more. Honestly, it's like the, the best thing that's happened is that I got home from the US Open and I actually went on holiday for a week. Mm -hmm. So I had a chance to think about it. I hadn't seen any papers. I hadn't, seen, I hadn't even seen it. Uh, every a replay or anything it's like right it's gone that's it mm -hmm. the one burning desire is the open it's like alright it's great to win a US Open with a player fantastic but no, I'll tell you what I'm, that claret jug I'm going to be try so hard at St Andrews yeah. especially there to yeah. bring it home yeah, yeah it's different uh, different levels I think when it gets to St Andrews and all the the special circumstances around the 150th but look, let's go back to US Open because Matt had a good run at the USPGA, came up just short there. And there was a lot of talk about him going into Brookline because of what he did there in the US Am in, in 2013. I remember thinking, well, he's just come off the back of a, a good week. You know, he's now got the experience of losing a major, if you like. The good history, I just thought, well, yeah, I'd give him a solid chance. But then I talked myself out of it because I thought, Ah, that's just fairy tale stuff, isn't it? A guy winning the US Am and US Open. Only Nicholas has ever done it at the same venue. What happened that week? What what went right, if you like? It's funnily enough, I did a podcast for Wayne Riley and Sarah Stirk about two weeks previous, and um, they were asking about the PJ, and I, I held my hand on my heart and, and speak honestly, as I always do, and I just said, you know what? You look back to what he's done since last October, and his results have been incredible. Tech Scotty Scheffler out of the equation he's arguably been the most consistent player in the world and I just thought you know that's Matt's first chance to win a major championship the USPJ he didn't have his A game on Sunday he made a couple of mistakes didn't drive it well enough missed six fairways which for him ain't good enough and you're getting that Bermuda wispy rough and you can't control your ball flight you get flyers for fun and it's your best guesstimate and you need to be on the short grass to, to control your ball and it, it didn't happen you know you look back and say yeah we could have done this we could have done that um, maybe a couple of shots where it wasn't I always say never hit a shot unless you're 100% convinced and 95% ain't good enough 
and maybe that happened a couple of days, uh, a couple of times that day. But I genuinely believed, as I said in the podcast, this kid's on the cusp of big things and, you know, he could well bounce back. And this guy will win a major and it could well be the US Open. I said that two weeks before it's just happened. So it was on the cars, it was coming. Like I say, he's, he's, he works so hard. I always call him Bernard Langer's love child, <laughs> you know, because he is, he is by far the most professional player I've ever worked for. His work ethic is immense. Well, again, when you think of the players you've worked for, though, I think some people's eyebrows will raise when they hear you say that. What's different about him compared you know to those others? And I'm not saying it now. I've worked for Matt coming up for four years. I said it after one week. And I, I want old Matt in the same level as Lee Westwood or Seve Ballesteros, for example, or Sergio Garcia, who's arguably the best ball striker I've ever worked for. But there was just something about him, and I said it from day one, and I said it to his, his, his dad, Russ. I said, this kid's Bernard Langer's love child. His work ethic is incredible. Every shot he hits in practice, on the practice ground, in practice rounds, even in tournament golf, paces everything off, writes down, that's 17 yards left of the middle of the fairway. That's four yards left of the flag. That's six yards past. That's three yards short. That's in the bunker right, 12 paces right of the flag. And he, he jots everything down. Every shot he hits goes on a spreadsheet and he gives it to some bloke and it spits out all these numbers left, right and centre about every club, every detail about everything. And he'll take it home and say, well, this club's not good enough. That's that's a bit dodgy. That part of my game's not good enough, whatever. And I'm always, I'm always very honest with him, you know. I always... If I see an issue in his game, I'm not afraid to tell him exactly what I think. I said, mm. Matt, your, your fairway bunker play is absolute muck. And it has been. You mm. need to work on it so hard because it's not good enough. And if you want to be the best, your wedge play ain't good enough. You need to work on your wedges. You know, it's, you know, your steps between that club to that club is 15 yards, where that one's 11 yards. We need to even that up and get it so it's 13 yards a piece, you know, and mm. you need to be stepped properly. I always say my piece. And, um, but he works so hard. He works so hard. Because it's funny, like, a lot of people would think that level of analysis, well, it's the old line, isn't it? Paralysis by analysis. Mm. You can you can get too bogged down in numbers, but sure. evidently it works for him. Not everybody says it. takes all types. You know, it's like anything in life. You know, you have characters in, in, in life and if we're all the same, it'd be boring. And, and Matt's very, very different to all the other guys I've worked for. Mm -hmm. You know, and they're all, you know, listen, what I say to... You know, what I said to Lee Westwood, Sergio Garcia, Sergio Garcia, I'd hate it. What mm -hmm. I said to Sergio Garcia, Darren Clark won't like it. Mm -hmm. What I said to Darren Clark, Seve Ballesteros said, punch my lights out. But <laughs> it's all about, I always relate to it as like they've all got more mood swings than Glenn Miller. So, you know, it's about judging the character and yeah. you have to adapt accordingly. You know, of course. Every job's different. So, but you work it out very quickly when the round or two, right, you don't like that, so you don't like that, you know, and... And I'll never forget working for Sam Torrance once. I worked for Sam. One tournament in um, Barcelona. And we got to the first tournament and Sam pulled a three-wood. I said, Sam, it's it's a two-iron, mate. Three was too much. And whatever, I can't remember what he ate. Oh, I just remember him walking off the tee and he said to me, Billy, never volunteer information. If I want information, I'll ask you. But don't try and change my mind. Even though I thought, you've got the wrong club here. I'm not going to watch you at the wrong club. He were adamant, don't get involved. Now, if I'd have done that with Dan and Clark, why didn't you tell me about that? You know, the <laughs> complete opposite, you know. Yeah, exactly. And actually, Sam won the tournament. And it was, Did he? Yeah, I only worked for him once and he won the tournament. But I'll never forget that from Sam. Because he liked one thing, but Dan and Clark or Seven Bella says, well, Billy, you're a son of my bitch. Why are you not telling me? It's the same. <laughs> but Sam were different. But they're all different levels yeah. of psychopaths. 
<laughs> That's one way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah, but Matt's now a major one in psychopath. So he's got that going for him, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably a less psychopath than the rest of them, but uh, no, he's a good kid and, uh, and I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the ride so far. So yeah. You got yourselves into a great position after three rounds, obviously, at Brookline. Tell me about that morning. What was that like? Because a lot riding on it for you both and you've got the little bit of scar tissue coming in off the back of the USPG as well. What was that morning like, that Sunday morning? <laughs> you think I'd be probably lying. It was just another day. Not nervous at all. Just another day. Well, that changed with what we saw because the round looked of very chilled out. I'll tell you what I did. I'll tell you what I did say, and this is hand on my heart, right? So wind it back five weeks before that, the USPG is tied for the lead again. Last group. I get to the golf course and uh, Sky Sports want to do a little bit of an interview before we tee off, which I don't like doing yeah. before you're teeing off, trying to win a major, never mind your first major or Matt Fitzpatrick's first major. Mm-hmm. I said, all right, I'll do it. And Henny Zool says to me, she says, so Billy, what are you thinking about today? I said, well, it's obviously a huge day. I feel sick to the pit of my stomach. I'm nervous. Eh? <laughs> and she said, really? I said, yeah. I said, not about the golf, about Leeds United. It's the last day of Premier League. Come on, Leeds! <laughs> the last day of the Premier League. And I were more stressed out about Leeds United than the golf. Well, you go out there, it's just another day on the golf course. And if, if it's your day, it's your day. I've got that much battle scars and experience over the years. It's like, honestly, you might think I'm lying. I'm not. I'm not nervous. I loved it out there on Sunday. And it's like, like I said, on the 17th hole of the US Open, under the most immense pressure. I just started laughing at him and think, thank God for that. You didn't knock it five, put five foot past you <laughs> and you clumsy little git, like, you know. And he started laughing. Now we walk into the last tee, try to win your first mares. You're both laughing at each other. Yeah. And, yeah. What an amazing position to get into. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, I'm, lo- I'm loving it, you know, and it's, uh, you know, like I said, I'm in the last two or three years of my career, so, you know, maybe five, who knows, but, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And, mm. uh, so and you to should. get that... To get that little Brucey bonus at the end there, uh, it's been very special. Tell me about the 18th. I know that the pair of you didn't see eye to eye in terms of strategy for playing the 18th the entire week. No, we had a big difference of opinion there all week. I, I played a practice round on the Monday and um, we get to the 18th. You know, and you can hit up to sort of like the, the elbow of the, you know, it's sort of like the, the hole starts shaping round to the left and uh, an elbow around 290 yards so I'm thinking, well, this tee shot's, you just say it, 275. It's a three wood, you know. And Fitz is like, no, I like driver up here. I like driver up here. But, but if you hit driver up there, the fair, fair, fairway gets narrower and then it starts angling round to the left. So if you hit dead straight, straight up the middle of the fairway, at 310 yards, you were going to run out in the rough, which a driver would do. I said, no, mate, it's a three wood. It's a three wood and, a, and it'll leave you 150 yards, 160 yards to the front line. You know, it's... Anyway, he did his pacing as he does. <laughs> you know, well, this is three yards wider. Yeah, that's four yards wider. That's six yards wider. He said, well, no, where I'm going to drive is only four yards less than where I'm going to hit three wood. But that, that's if you hit the perfect shot drawing it around the corner. Yeah, but I mean, actually, as you look at the fairway, to me, it was like a good eight, nine yards wider where you're going to hit three wood. So, no, I like driver, he says. I went, all right. So, so my parting shot was, all right, let's get one thing straight here. When we stand on this tee, I don't want any of this, right, we've hit this, oh, why did we do this? Why did we do that? Hindsight, <laughs> king, like, you yeah. know. No, I want you to make a decision what you want to hit, what you're happy with. And when we get on that tee, there's no doubts. Commit to You it. are doing that. Mm-hmm. Commit to what you're going to do and get on with it, like, you know. So, no, no, Billy, I'm happy with driver. I said, right, fair enough. 
So the first three rounds, it's driver. Two bogies and a par. So then walking to the last tee on Sunday, I'm like, here we go. <laughs> One shot lead, US Open. I know I'm going to get to that tee and say, Mark's a three winner. He's going to want it, driver. Here we go. <laughs> so he gets to the tee and comes out for the driver. I said, Matt, please, just do me a favour. It's a three wood to the widest bit of the fairway. It's going to be a nine iron second shot. That's all you need to do. Hit the fairway, nine iron. Yeah, all right, okay. So here's the three wood. And he hooks it in the bunker. And I'm like, I don't believe it. I mean, what have happened if I'd have let him hit driver? See, you're starting to beat yourself up walking down mm-hmm. there. And Instant it, regret. Well, you saw that thinking, what would have happened if it had been uh-huh, driving? He yeah. might have been out of bounds, he might have been in the pavilion, I don't know, but he might have plugged it under the lip of the bunker in the long grass. You don't know, but he's actually listened to me and, and done what I feel is the right thing. Mm-hmm. He just didn't hit the right shot. But now I'm walking down there thinking, what if this could be another one of those horrible moments you're going to live with for the rest of your life, you know? The crowd are all now in the fair, I'm fighting my way through the crowd. And as we get through, he turns to me and said, Billy. I said, what is it, Matt? He says, that was the right club. That was the right player. And I thought, well, fair play to you, son. As yeah. I walk up there, my heart sinks because I can see the ball under the lip. Mm-hmm. There was a big, you know, mound in the middle of the trap and the ball was sat behind him. Like, my heart just sank. I thought, he can't get home. Zalatoris is in the fairway. But as the nearer I got to the ball and the more I went to the left, I thought, oh, hang on a minute. That ball's a bit further left from the from the mound than I thought, you know, the lip of the bunker. So I've done something I haven't done for, well, I've never done it in my life. I plumb bobbed a lot of putts in my life. I've never done it ever in 40 years of caddying. So I just plumb, bob, plumb bobbed a foot left to the, the lip of the bunker. And I said, you see that floodlight back left of the green on that tree, which was like two or three yards inside the left of the green. I said, you can hit on that and don't have to worry about that lip. And if you can hit a good strong cut off that, every chance, mate. 161 yards, it's a 9-9. And I walked away, he was happy. Walked away and, and <laughs> fits players that quickly. The ball was in the air as I turned around. <laughs> like, and I looked up and you just knew. And the ball was in the air. It's like, that is golden. Golden. Oh, get down, you beautiful thing. And then you just see all the crowd clapping. I'm like, what a golf shot under that pressure. Yeah. 17 out of 18 greens and a US Open Sunday for a kid that's never won in America, never won and won a major. That's up there with the best shots I've seen for a long, long time. I mean, you were there when Seve did what he did under the trees in Switzerland. Yeah. Where does that shot that Matt hit rank? Seve was to have the imagination to hit the shot that Seve has hit. At that stage, I, wouldn't, I thought any other player in the world would have seen the shot, never mind attempted it, and never mind pulled it off. But Fitz's shot, the, the US Open there, for the circumstance of what it meant, is right up there with the best shots I've ever seen. Mm. I, I would never put it above Seve's shot behind the wall in Switzerland because it, it was different, different circumstances. Mm. But for the kid to pull that shot off in them circumstances was immense. And then you get up into the green, you two putts. Zalatoris is the chance to force the play off. What's going through your head as you're standing at the back of the green watching Will line up? I was remarkably quite calm actually and I just turned to Fitz I just said just prepare your mind for another three holes because you just you got to expect him to hole it and you've got to get your mindset not be too upset just get your mindset ready that 
you're going to have to go to war again in another three holes for a sudden death playoff. Just get your mind ready for it. And he hit the putt, and as he hit it, somebody walked in front of me, and I saw that pop me head to the side, and you can hear the crowds, voices getting louder and louder. You think, yeah, he's old it. And then the big drone, and then the ball's still above ground. It was like, and that's when I put my head in my hands, like, and just, wow, King Kong's finally got off my back. And it was probably a two or three second gap before, you know, Fitz was looking at me, he's like, what's up with him, like? <laughs> there was no emotion. And then he just come across and whispered, Billy, we've, we've just won a merge. And I'm like, oh my God, yeah, how good's that? So yeah, it was very, very special. I need to, I had a chance to look at it, you know, I've been home a week and a half, whatever it is, and I, I went straight on holiday, so I haven't had a chance to look at it yet. And I'm, I'm not going to look at it until I come home after the Open Championship. And I'd like to think there might be two videos to watch, hopefully, but you never know. That'd be pretty good, <laughs> wouldn't it? It's got to be greedy, awesome. Greedy, but yeah, I'll try and, uh, try and hope for that. Take me inside the celebrations, if you wouldn't mind that night. Because, I mean, major championship celebrations must be good. And now you've got experience, so... Yeah, uh, listen, it was it was, it was was weird because he had a lot of press things to do and, you know, photographs and all that. What are you that. doing when he's doing that, out of curiosity? Drinking a few Heineken's and eating <laughs> fair with... A couple of caddies came down to see me and I was just stood there and they brought me two or three cold bottles of Heineken and uh, I was up anywhere just having a good chat with them and then, obviously, they came down, took a few photographs. And then it was back to the locker room. I sat in the locker room. I switched my phone on like just 600 text messages just ding, like, ding 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 oh, yeah, it was yeah mental I thought I've got to reply to every one of them which I did good for you yeah every one of them but yeah and then uh, we went to the other side of the clubhouse and they ran out of beers or the beer I like <laughs> I just saw a couple of nice ice cold bottles of Dom Perino in the fridge in the back there so they had to get uh, uncorked and um, I didn't waste any I didn't splash it all over the ceiling I was respectful to the country club and just flipped it off Quietly, and which I <laughs> and I managed to drink about a third of a bottle of Dumper, you know, out of the blocks, like I would do with a bottle of so, Yeah, <laughs> it was. Uh, and then Fitz, they were all saying speech, 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 like, you know, Fitz very quiet and humble. Well, like, you know, I don't know what to say. So, well, you can't leave it like So, I got him said a few words, like, you know, I said he's managed to win him, managed to win a major putting like Edward Scissorhands, but, anyway, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, praise him, respect for it in 17 uh, yeah. of 18 greens on a Sunday at US. US Open when you've uh, you know never won in America or, or for that fact emerge so immense playing and your work ethic that you put in you deserve everything you get son so fair play to you. You feel like it's starting to sink in slowly but surely we're a couple of weeks removed now that's that's the pinnacle for for golfers and caddies major championship victories. Um, yeah it's funny I just <laughs> I don't get carried away I should do <laughs> after 40 years and all the close calls but I, I'm not getting carried away with it and um all I'll say is I'm looking forward to getting to St Andrews, so yeah. um, it'll sink in eventually at some stage, but as yet, you know, I just look at where it was another tournament, and, and when I actually start having a chance to have a couple of weeks off and maybe look at it back, I'll go, wow, how special with that, and maybe it will it on, but right now I'd be lying if I said, yeah, how good's that, you know, because yeah. I hadn't thought like that. You've got the flag, though. I've got the flag, yeah. That's yeah. a pretty special moment in itself, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get some nice things done with it, and I'll get Fitz to sign it, and I'll sign some like. You know, I managed to win the US Open in spite of you, Billy, you know, whatever he wants to write, you know, but yeah, uh, that'd be nice, it'll take pride of place, and as you can see, we're sat here at Bingley St. Ives, and... Um, what a place, by the way, it's yeah, first time here, uh, I'm yeah. coming back, it's so uh, cool. There's all my memorabilia is in the 19th hole here, the snooker room, and um, I'm sure there'll be a, a few nice things added here um, in a few weeks' so. time. Yeah, I suspect so. Billy Foster, I'm going to finish up where I started. 
major champion caddy at last. Uh, Absolutely. Respect. Brilliant. Brilliant. Michael, thank you. You've got to love it. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Big thank you to Billy. What a character. Nice. He's, is there a better storyteller in the game right now than Billy Foster? No. Everything he says is, is worth listening to. There's no fluff that comes out of his mouth. And uh, I think he's very popular because he's just brutally honest. Yeah. And I, I know he comes across as one of the lads and all that stuff, and that's what people say, but he's he's a very, he's very intelligent guy. Yep. Knows knows the game inside out, and I think everyone was just as pleased for Matt Spitzpatrick to win as they were for Billy to win. Yeah, just yeah, phenomenal. Exactly. Yeah, that was like I said it all, win. and you can hear it in him. You know, I could see it sitting opposite how much and how badly he wants to win the Open at St Andrews. Why not? Back to back's hard to do, but why not? It's been done exactly. So thank you, Billy. Thank you, Motocadi, and best of luck for the Open. It's only it's only a few days away. Right then, but fast becoming my favourite part of the show, I have to say, but the podder of merit. Last week we were recording our grassroots special with our, our friends at Scottish Golf, hence we didn't have a regular pod last week. Sorry about that. I suggest you go and check out that grassroots pod. There's some really, really good stuff in there. That's something a little bit different for us, a step change, if you will. So we didn't cover Podder last week, but let's cover it this week. And let's revel in this moment. The Travellers' Championship a fortnight ago. Bryce, you went for Sam Burns. You missed the cut. I went for world number one and reigning Masters champion Scotty Scheffler, fresh off his impressive performance at the US Open. He did exactly what I needed him to do, tied for 13th. So as it stands, Bryce won. Michael four. In the words of Greg Norman, how do you like them apples? It's not great, is it? I'm just hoping that you play like Greg Norman down the stretch. (laughs) (laughs) And there goes our chance of Greg Norman in the podcast again. This week, the Genesis Scottish Open. It has to be, let's be honest. So it is my honour. It is so hard to pick because the field is absolutely stacked. Stacked, man. (laughs) Yeah. Where do you even begin? But I am not going for Scheffler. That would be wrong. I'm not going for Justin Thomas because that's your pal. I am going for a guy who is starting to show signs of life again at exactly the right time as he prepares for his Open Championship title defence. I'm going for Colin Morikawa. I'd never seen a Lynx course until he played the Renaissance last year. Didn't play well on it, it must be said. But then, did what you're meant to do and went on and won the following week. He was behind me when I was knocking out by with Justin. Oh, was he? Yeah. Yeah, Did you catch up? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) Were you holding him up? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, good shout. I have to to top load. I'm going to go Scott Scheffler. Fair enough. My worry is that what used to happen, which people will never ex- admit to, is I think some of these guys would turn up at the Scottish and be half-tuned out about what mm. was happening the next week. But this is a lot of points riding on this. I don't think they'll be looking at this as a bit of an off week. I yeah. think they'll be... That's a very good point. They'll be wanting the the readies and the points um, because as we know in the golf world, points are going to be rather important. Points win prizes. So yeah, Scottish Effler. Uh, come on, pal. Please. I need you to step up. I beg you. I can't go 5-1. <laughs> Shh. 
Scheffler, Morikawa and the Podder of Merit this week. Bring it on. And we'll finish where we always do. Honestly, box. And because of the negativity in the game at the moment, I decided I didn't want to have a negative honesty box this time. You know, what's the worst this? Who's the biggest? You know, so I went for something a little bit happier, if you will, Bryce. I would like you to describe the greatest shot you have ever hit. It's a small sample size to work with, so this shouldn't okay. be difficult. I believe... Well, I just got that there. <laughs> so, I was a wee bit slow to that one, I'm afraid. Sorry. Uh, ninth, South Course, Quinta de Lago, playing with mother, mother and father-in-law. When? Which I don't mind saying are dreadful golfers. Okay. And they don't listen to the podcast. I don't think my father-in-law knows what a podcast is. Dreadful golfer. And actually, so this could be a long story, but the first, we played, we started on the 10th, uh, no, it would have been the 18th then. Sorry, it would have been the 18th. So we started on the 10th and it were teeing off about, must have been about five past eight in the morning, pretty early. And already looking, there's about six people waiting behind us on the on the first, or 10th, or our 10th, their first. And uh, my mother-in-law takes a swipe, misses a ball. Nice, good start. Then takes another swipe and hits it about 30 yards up into the right rough. And my, my father-in-law just takes a ball out of his pocket and just rolls it onto the tee and goes, hey, another one, hey, another what? one. What? I'm like, no, 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 no. There's people behind us, Jim. <laughs> She's already hit her shot. Says, but he doesn't. He, he maybe plays golf once a year, once every three, four years. I don't think right. he's hit a shot for about five years. I thought, oh my God, this is going to be a long, long round. And... He's no, I don't mean it in any bad way, but he's got no concept of what is good golf, really. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, he just, he just likes being out in the golf course swacking balls and they go everywhere and he's not bothered. But I, if anyone knows the 18th at the south course, I sort of hit my drive, didn't cut the corner and I hit it into the, the far away corner on the dog leg and I was slightly under a tree, slightly downhill lie. I was about 175 from the green the greens, there's a turn of about, I needed to move the ball about 40, 50 yards in the air. And I thought, this is just... It sounded like Bubba, I guess. I know. So, it was further away than that. Oh, wow. So, I think it was a six iron I hit, a seven iron, six iron. And I thought, right, here we go. I'm going to hit a big, massive, high cut. And uh, I did the usual stuff. Opened my stance. Club face aiming at the target. Swung out left my high hands and this ball just whoosh, straight up landed about 10 feet from the pin and I thought what a shot that is my father-in-law was uh, standing next to me and just went shot have you seen my ball <laughs> <laughs> I was like what have you just seen the shot that I hit and you've oh. I was just like shot where's, where's my ball oh so my for goodness sake, that's just been wasted wasted on you that is like easily that I'm annoyed that I hit that shot and it didn't get the audience it deserved. Yeah, but there you go. It sounds impressive. Look, you saw it, so that's, yeah, that's that's it comforts me. I feel like half the time that's the most important thing. Like uh-huh. You you know yourself how good yeah. it was. So have you ever hit a good shot? Away you go. I've hit lots of good shots <laughs> on your own, eh? Aye. <laughs> There's a few that spring to mind. Sadiat Beach. I don't honestly remember the, the the hole it was on. 
but Sadiat Beach out in Abu Dhabi a few years ago, I was in a fairway bunker and the the sand there is a bit more compacted. It's not like, you know, thin, grainy sand. Uh, so the ball was sitting okay. I had 200. Oh, it was a good lie, yeah. Yeah, it was okay, aye. Cool. Makes it easy. I, I mean, you heard Billy talk about Matt Fitzpatrick's bunker shot. I don't want to compare the two because they're very different, but if anything, mine was better because I, I had a hybrid in my hands from 220 yards, I think it was. Right. And Was this just a media day you were playing and not the yeah. 72nd hole of the US Open Championship? Th- that's it. I mean, you know, there, right. there are levels and there are different majors for different yeah, people. This so is your major. My major, indeed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I ripped it. I, I just It was that stage of the round where I thought, oh, sorry, I'm just going to have a, have a lash at it. And... Yeah, I stuck it to, I think, about 10 feet and canned the putt for birdie, which was lovely. I remember as soon as I hit it, I thought, that's an absolutely phenomenal golf shot. But my playing partners, a bit like you with your father-in-law, they weren't paying attention. They were elsewhere looking for their balls and all that sort of stuff. And then the other one that springs to mind was the sixth hole at Gullin. Oh, we've got two shots here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, there's so many to choose from. I didn't and realize it was, you know, multiple. <laughs> I think it's the sixth. Multiple and the answers. reason that I say I think it's the sixth is because I've never played Gullin number one the right way. I've only ever played it in Scottish Open Pro Hams. Oh, right. that's the kind of guy. Yeah, I yeah, am. yeah, yeah. That's, well, so it's the downhill it's the downhill par four. I think it's the sixth. And I was playing alongside Jimmy Walker. Oh, right, okay. Small as bud. You, as you do. And I pulled out a three wood. Ripped it a little bit off one of the lower grooves, but it doesn't matter. It's downhill hole. You so thin, you thin the three wood, semi thin, but it flew. I mean, this thing just went <laughs> right. I love it. it. Wasn't I love the fact that one of your greatest shots ever is a thin <laughs> three wood it's downhill. Not, it's not a thin. It was a semi thin. <laughs> it ran. It ran for ninety no, yards after be, a thin on a downhill be, link. Because of, if that if you'd done that in August on a wet golf course, it would have gone one hundred and twenty yards. Because, because of the <laughs> hole, it looked sensational. Yeah, like yeah, a but piss, it was crap. It looked like a piss missile. Yeah, but then. I'm just admiring it, holding the pose, thinking that's actually not a bad yeah. result. And Jimmy said, Don't worry, you got away with it. No, I heard this voice behind me, an American voice go, Nice shad, bud. And it wasn't Jimmy, it was Ricky Fowler who joined us on the ah, team. Ah, brilliant. See, he doesn't, well, he knows what a thin looks like. Sick. He, he thought it was a great shot, or at least said to me it was. And I've, I've lived off that. Yeah, ever well, since. apparently you're meant to, if you if you uh, listen to golf psychologists, if you're playing bad golf or you're worried about your golf, you're meant to hark back to your great moments and have them in your mind. I don't actually know how to do that, <laughs> but that's what you're meant to do. You're meant to sit and go right. When was what was the last time I did? And, and you're meant to initiate those feelings in your mind yeah. that. That's how you feel when you play well. So the next thing you play golf, you have to imagine that Ricky Fowler's about to say, Shad Bud. I, I can't think. I, I mean, Ricky Fowler's not been to Balfron as far as I know. Not yet, he hasn't. Not yet. The way his career's going, he <laughs> might be. We're looking for a pro. So yeah, yeah, so yeah. <laughs> Roving Ricky. Oh, wow. Mm. Oh, and another one's not coming on the podcast. I, I did ask the question on Twitter to people to find out some of their, you know, greatest shots. Couple here for you. Gord McGarva. I mean, straight away, that's no a way. great name. Yeah. Hold a one iron for an albatross in 1995, 230 yards. All right, aye. Class. Decent. And he left it at that. I love the fact that 
That's the it. one iron for albatross, and that's all you're getting. Because <laughs> that's all you need. I don't think that's how he speaks. Um, well, it's Gord McGarva. There's a good chance that's oh, exactly well, yeah, how he right. speaks. So I thought it was some sort of Polish name. McGarva? I never heard the Mick. John Moran, I think it is, or Moran. No, let's go John Moran. John Moran's better. Par 4, number 16, Coyote Crossing Golf Club. What a name. Coyote Crossing. Why oh, do they have such good oh, names? So good. Because they all they, 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 they name their golf courses after something like pretty much after the local village. Yes, that's that's very true. Pumpkin Ridge. <laughs> so John, miss hit drive which skipped across a pond in front of the tee onto the fairway. Second shot, long off fairway into rough blocked by a tree. Full nine iron over the tree onto the green two feet from the hole for a par. Shot over that tree was my best shot ever. Certainly sounds better than your drive, John. Not yeah. going to lie. Stuart Wright, when I was a beginner off 28, I'm off 12 now. Oh, we didn't need to know that, Stuart. All right. I hit a terrible second shot on the second at East Wren. Ended up in the third tee, 60 yards from the green, in front of a four-ball young team. No shot, over a short-sided bunker, downhill lie, downhill green. Flopped it to a foot. Wee boys congratulating me. Pure <laughs> fluke. <laughs> Couple more. Chris Haldane, Turnberry, Robert the Bruce course, 18th hole, par 5. Good drive down the left side of the fairway. All square in a doubles match, so I went for it. Driver off the deck. Melted it and rolled up to 10 feet from the pin. Nice. Decent. Cutter. This is a real... You think I'm good from thuds? Pebble caddies get one free round per year. You can see where this is going. Always in January. Several years ago, I had the most brutal winds and sideways rain that you can imagine. Winds dead in your face for the first 10 holes. On the ninth, I've got 204 into a four-club wind. Rip a four-wood to three feet and make birdie. Brilliant. And finally, Stuart Bindoris. This is so good. 36th and final hole of the Leaving Golf Society 2014 Club Championship final. I'm one down. Found the water in two, you know the big burn in front of... the 18th? Yes. Right, okay. Found the water in two. Had to do a Vanderveld. Got the waterproofs <laughs> on. Did he? Closed my eyes, splashed out, literally, won the hole, and went on to win the championship at the third extra hole. Class. And, best bit, he included a picture of the shot in his tweet. Brilliant. So, I'm going to retweet that. That's just immense. Yeah, that wins. It's funny how the good shots keep you coming back, isn't it? Yes, that's it. When did you last hit a good shot? <laughs> I've told you, the last time I played golf is sensational. And actually, shout out to uh, Golf Monthly's Jed... Uh, Jed Elwood. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to punch him right the throat when I see him at St Andrews. No, I saw something. giving me dogs abuse and twat about I my bad this. golf. I was like, what's this about? That came right out of left field. Yeah, was it Saturday was, night? Whoa, 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 whoa. His son tried to relax on the couch here with Stranger Things, Jez. And what did he say? He said uh, he would be surprised if I could hit a shot like that or something. He was, he was hugely derogatory about my game. This was because you posted a picture of Justin Rose yes, on the road. off the road. At yeah, St yeah. Andrews. Yeah, 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 I stole Justin's picture, but that's fine. And yeah. Jez said that he didn't think you were capable of... Of clipping it off the turf or something. What are you all about? <laughs> to be fair, 10 years ago, he's probably right. Yeah. Probably, he's probably got a point, Jez. That's a match I'd like to see then, you versus Jez. Yeah. Although I don't the give you much chance, Jez plays 364 I, days a I year. I know, he's, Jez is a full-time golfer, basically. Jez is one of the ones signing up for a live. Maybe he is. Yeah. He can't be any worse than Jed Morgan. Yeah, true. Anyway, that is it for this week. Thank you very much, Bryce. And remember, go and enter that competition. I'm looking at the bag just now. 
trying to figure out if there's a way that I can just keep it? Um, no, it's too late now. Okay. So going into that competition, bunkered.co.uk forward slash competitions. Huge thank you to everyone who's participated this week. Billy Foster, Motocaddy, Callaway as ever, and to you, Bryce. Last, but not least. That means a lot. I'm sure it does. We'll be back next week for a very special podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the word. What is it again? Video? No, it is, of course, the 150th Open next week. We will be going big and we cannot wait. Until then, thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye for now.